This is a Momentum Media production. Inside Commercial Property with Rethink Investing. Australia's largest and most comprehensive podcast covering all things commercial investing. Absolutely, it's all things commercial investing. Phil Tarrant, Executive Editor, Real Estate Momentum Media, joined by Scott O'Neill, Founder, Director, Commercial Guru, Rethink Investing. How are you going, Scott? Good? Very good, mate. How are you going? All right, mate. This is, we now know, officially, the last time we're going to have to do this over Zoom. You're going to be able to come back in with a couple of coffees and we're going to have a good old yarn about commercial property starting in October. Pretty exciting stuff. I know. Going to have to work out where the hairdresser is. and oh, My hair is like, you know, ridiculously long at the moment. It's, yeah, it's, that's it's, solid, I, mate. You're looking like a... A rock star or yeah. now. <laughs> look like just the bum that I am, the property bum. Maybe that could be the the new the new podcast name for this property bums. But um, uh, lots going on probably at the moment. So we now know Scott, uh, at least in New South Wales, uh, the Premier Gladys Berejiklian has given us a roadmap to exit the COVID lockdowns already. Uh, restrictions are relaxing. There's people having picnics. Uh, if you're vaccinated up, you can go and do some various different things. I think my kids are out sort of doing some stuff with their school friends now, which is all very good. And 70% vaccination rate, it's the first hurdle. 80% is the next hurdle. And we now know by the 1st of December, everything should be back to how it was before this most recent lockdown. So that means pubs are open, hospitality venues are open, shops are open, and importantly, real estate is open. As you know, Scott, we've got a big events business here, and come the 1st of December, uh, we can have two square metres per person, which is pretty much back to business. So we're pretty pumped about that. But what does all this mean for commercial property? The great restart, we'll call it, Scott. What's your thoughts, top line? Oh, Top line, I think it will bring on more listings, as a, as a general feel, because I know, especially in the commercial world, there is a lot of excuses for commercial owners to just hold off listing. Number one, there's a lot of growth for them at the moment. So if they sell in a month's time, they're probably going to get more money for it. So there's no great rush. Also, the thought of opening up is the thought of more buyers. So if you delay your listing, you're going to have more interstate guys that can fly and hopefully uh, view the properties. If the premiers sort of break down those barriers, we'll see. And then the other side is, yeah, look, the buyers are going to be more confident because the excuses they once had of, oh, yeah, don't know how the tenants are going or business is a bit murky, which we all know there's some winners and losers in this pandemic. The losers should become winners again. And yeah, we'll discuss some of those winners may lose some of their growth that they've had. You know, for example, is online businesses going to grow as fast as they were in 2021 or 2020? We'll talk about that, but there is... A shift that will happen and i think overall it's going to be for the positive more listings more confidence and buyers are just just ready to go i do like uh winners and losers type discussions and uh they a bit clickbaity and you know people like to uh to tune into them and and read them but um you know i think it's a really sort of i don't know the question is can you actually look at commercial property as black and white through COVID 19 with winners and losers i think to your point you probably can I remember back in March and April of 2020 when everyone, well, there's a moratorium around um, tenants couldn't be thrown out of residential properties and commercial landlords were told you need to negotiate with your tenants to make sure that there is some continuity of their leases. Uh, fast forward sort of 16, 17 months, that's all sort of behind us now. I, I, can't, I don't know of anyone who's sort of 
trying to pressure their commercial landlords for rent reductions right now, maybe in a hospitality area, but one of the key winners, I think, coming out of this COVID-19 lockdown and seeing the intent from the Premier here, at least in New South Wales, is going to be retail stores. I'm largely fatigued. I never subscribed into internet shopping. And I think everyone now realises how disruptive internet shopping can be when Australia Post chooses to to not have enough staff or for them to go on strike and you're waiting two, three weeks for packages, right? Like, is the future internet shopping or is it back in retail, Scott? Should you be making investment decisions on this or is it a bit too spurious? Well, look, I've read a few sort of uh, reports. There's one from CBRE, which really goes into the the e-commerce growth. And they have stated that growth is definitely going to slow next year for industrial or storage or online businesses, mostly because they've just had a, some businesses have had three, 400% growth in terms of sales. You know, I'll give you a couple of examples. So in, um, you know, like JB High Five grew last year by 201%. Uh, they're 163%. There's numerous other examples like Coles and Woolies and uh, doing their online sales. Like they've had rapid growth. And it's just, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if how much that recoils because there is going to be a need or a want for people to get back into shops to view. It's going to be something to do, whether it, you want to call it a pastime or Maybe they're just, it's a fresh thought, you know, go shopping again. And, you know, I'm talking to lots of people, even non-traditional shoppers want to get back into the shops. And I think that's why you're probably not seeing as much of the rental stress anymore because shops and cafe owners and all that, they recognize the importance of maintaining their current position. Yes, the next few months are probably going to be a bit rough for them, but what about the next two years? Like they want to maintain their location. They don't want to go bust on their location right before an opening that, that could uh, be a big loss for them. So people are just buckling down for the last couple of months and I think you're going to see a big resurgence of foot traffic. Yeah, I tend to agree. And 1 December sort of being the the date when nothing really matters anymore. People are coming out going, well, you know, you've made all these rules for people who are vaccinated that they're going to be released out of lockdown earlier. Now you're saying, well, they only get two months advantage on anyone else from 1st of December. It doesn't matter whether you're vaxxed or not. You just can go about your way and doing what you're doing. Now, Regan, you have a pretty bumper uh, selling season up until Christmas, uh, Scott, you know, going out there and getting presents for friends and families and kids and stuff. So holding the line as a tenant at the moment in retail, I think is absolutely key. And the shops are going to be full. A lot of Australians have a lot of money that they didn't have beforehand. And obviously a lot of the headlines around COVID is all the uh, unfortunate people who have lost their jobs and their income because they work inside of travel, they work inside of um uh, hospitality or tourism. There's a lot of people, to your point, who have made a lot of money through COVID-19 and they're cashed up and they're ready to go. We only seen sort of, you know, residential property prices screaming ahead at 25 plus percent growth. There's a whole bunch of regional areas now which which have a, a median property price over a million bucks. Like, again, is that sustainable? Uh, you would have seen now, Scott, uh, a lot of headlines around mortgage stress inside residential mortgages, record low interest rates, and people maybe going above their means. If everything snaps back to how it was once upon a time, there's going to be a lot of people who are probably struggling to pay uh, the residential home loans, whether it's owner-occupier or investor. What say you to commercial property? Is there any mortgage stress in commercial property, Scott? Look, we don't see it as much. But one of the main reasons is it's kind of engineered out because people have to have larger deposits going into property. So you're not going to see your 95% lenders in commercial. It's normally minimum 30% down. So you know, these are cashed up investors. They're normally sophisticated in terms of they've done a lot of investing prior or 
you know, they're buying a larger asset with a very strong tenant. So there's not much of that stuff that I've seen. I, I, I basically see the cash flow side of things is so much better. So once you buy the property, you're going to save money faster. But look, on the sort of flip side of that argument, if you look at the sort of cash savings rate, so this is just from KPMG. So Australia's annual household savings rate, December 18 was 4%, March 19, 4.4%, June 19, 3.6% sort of bumps around sort of four to 5%. Once COVID hit, it jumped to 22% and it's only just slipped down to about 12%. So we're saving a lot of money very quickly. People are not spending it. People are hoarding cash. And that's one of the the contributors to this, this boom we're seeing as well. People have got extra money in their banks and they're lending off the back of that. But guess what happens uh, as soon as things open up, those cash savings rates probably going to decrease because you've got pimped up demand. You've got people who feel wealthy because they've got all this money in the bank. They're going to spend, spend, spend. And to be fair, the government's probably doing what it can to orchestrate that by keeping interest rate low, to keep inflation in check. They want Aussies to spend because that's how we get economic recovery as we come out of COVID-19. Now, that's all okay. You've already seen the CBA CEO coming out saying, oh, we're a bit concerned Uh, There's a lot of other property economists and demographers now coming out saying if investors or if Australians don't get their spending in line and they don't keep this rampant positive pressure on residential property prices, regulators are going to have to jump in to slow this joint down. Now, the government can jump in, the RBA, and start pushing up interest rates. And you would have remembered probably back in your early investing journey, Scott, this sort of 25% 25% basis point increase, 25%. But like for a lot of people that haven't seen that yet, and it happens and it hurts, right, when it does start taking place. But we can lift rates. We can slow things down. There will be government intervention at some point in time. But your view on the RBA, Scott, they, they pretty much said they're going to keep rates at low settings or where they are for the next three to four years. Like, Do you think that's going to happen? Well, look, I don't. And I know in our last episode we spoke about the Nordic countries. So Norway just came out of their lockdown. That's been uh, floating through the news and they've just bumped up their interest rate. It went from zero to 0.25%. And it's off the back of high inflation because, um, you know, basically the unemployment has fallen to very low levels and everyone's spending. So the economy is recovering very quick. So to adjust for inflation, that's what happens. So I guess it's just going to get reviewed every six months or three months or monthly, depending on what's happening. And um, yeah, I don't buy into those long-term predictions, but I know what they, they say it just to manage expectations. But I'm with you. I actually think APRA should jump in as well, because there is some craziness going on in these residential markets and some of the commercial markets that as an experienced investor, it makes me uncomfortable. Like I recently just, well, on Saturday, I sold my third ever property I bought, which was a, a little multi-tenant unit block in Port Macquarie. I've had it for seven years and it grew 300% in that time, tripled in value in seven years. And I just thought, who's buying this? You know, like there's no value like at that yield that someone bought, like they're very keen to purchase that property. And I'm going to recycle it back into commercial because I know that it makes sense from a numbers point of view. So if people are losing their hat, paying three times the price for properties in, you know, five, seven, 10 years periods, it doesn't really stack up. I don't think so. Once APRA or interest rates or maybe there's some uh, confidence lost in the market because something overseas is happening, or maybe like you said, people are going to use all their money and spend it at shops and then they're going to feel less wealthy and 
start traveling again and go, oh, should I really have loaded up on that holiday home with the big mortgage and then I've got to pay the rates every year? And yeah, I think there's going to be a bit of yeah stabilization in that department too. And I know the big banks have recorded 20% plus growth rates for the most major capital cities, but next year they're predicting it in the low single digits. So anyone that's rushing out trying to ride this wave, just remember it's not going to continue at this pace. Yeah, and that's what we do know with property. It does go up and it does go down. And, you know, I guess it's a matter of timing, but it's a matter of longevity in the market being able to ride through it. Now, whether or not you subscribe to or whether it's going to be folly as we sort of go down this pathway post-COVID of Australians moving to regional areas, you know, to chase work-life balance. It's not a new thing, but it's sort of accelerated for a lot of people as a result of COVID-19. Is that sustainable? You know, all these people who have sold up their capital city residences and they might not be the fanciest places in the world, they might be out, say, in, in, in the western suburbs of Sydney. But if you've sold up to get into a regional market and you've had this realisation of going, yeah, you know what, this isn't all what it sort of was meant to be, I want to get back into Sydney, guess what? You've got a big problem. You're probably priced out of the market and you can't get back in. So I think there's going to be a realisation for a lot of people at a residential point of view around this, but this lends itself also to this flight to regional Australia or coastal Australia or tree change locations. It's got to follow jobs growth and people may be able to import jobs into that because they can work from home, but that's not really building out the job base in those local areas. Now, every single local area, Scott, has its regional economies and its regional sort of nuances of how it generates money and sustains the people there, commercial property. Do you have concerns about commercial property in regional locations that may be inflated through this sort of spike in population, which may revert back to where it was? And the inverse of that, a lot of regional people are now looking to the cities to live. Yeah, look, I think if you overpay for an asset, yeah, it's definitely a worry. Like I know at Rethink Investing, we're purchasing regional assets almost daily, but we're purchasing them at at good yields, like 7% plus net returns. And I guess where the risk is, is if you go and pay too much for it. Like, for example, I was looking at some of the results for the major online sales. So, you know, there's your Burgess Rawson's and your Cushman Wakefield types. And some of the yields they're spitting out, like service stations in uh, regional South Australia at 4% net yields. What are they thinking? You know, if you like giving away your money, just go to charity. You know, like you could literally buy a service station at... um, for 6%, you know, that's a huge price difference. Like that to me is just craziness. And there's many other examples like, you know, like the car Bridgestone types, JCAR, ABS, like these these yields are all in the low 4%. And that doesn't make much sense if interest rates rise. Like our average yield is still about 6.5 net yield. And this is capital city stuff. And that's where, to sort of your point, if you're going into these areas just because you feel like it's going to be a real good growth hotspot, but then you're buying at that really low yield. There's not much room you can go from there um, because if interest rates- It's really hard to fix crap yield, isn't it? It's, or it's it takes not, time. Exactly. And that's honestly, that's the best way to say it. You can't fix it. It's mm. going to take probably 10 years for uh, slow increases in the rent to get you back to where you need to. And and that's why I just think that's where you've got to be careful. And the same goes with residential. If you're paying 20% overs, you're giving away- two, three, four years of your growth just to get in. And with that logic, maybe you just don't buy for now. You know, maybe, you know, it depends what your goal is. If it's a house to live in, of course, you know, it's a long-term game. You don't really care about the price if it's going to be a a 30-year hold plus. But uh, 
I know with commercial, that's not the thing. You are buying based on the numbers and, and that's why, you know, my message to all those people that are sort of going crazy at those auctions, call me up, I'll get you a, a 30, 50, you know, 60% better deal. You can give the rest away to charity if you want. You know, that's the long and short of it. But uh, it's a crazy market out there and there's a lot of people that are, are going harder than ever. So, Is the heat still on commercial? We've been chatting about this. You know, we kicked off, I think this is episode 17, Scott, we've done this. Um uh, season two, 17 episodes all in all, and we kick this off sort of smack bang at the the birth of the COVID journey for Australia, and we've sort of watched this go. And back then, not a lot of people were looking at commercial now, and we've been chatting about it, mainly over the last six months, that it is hot commercial market as well as sort of residential markets. But are you starting to see that temper at all, or is there still the same aggressive connectivity with Australians wanting to buy commercial property? I don't know if we're behind it, of this podcast i don't know if we can claim that but there's a lot more people educated about it at least well look it's a very small market like transaction numbers it is small and um give me some sense of that so people have just found us like you know people get i think five percent of of all properties turnover in uh residential properties turnover every year is that is that right we get that right maybe i'll go find that out there's not a lot in the big scheme of things but how many commercial transactions are there sort of every month every year well, that's a good question. It's uh, put him on the spot there. Yeah, no, yeah. I wouldn't have the total volume. Like, look, I know because we look at on the online portals as well as offline, and mm. we focus on the sub fifteen million dollar range in the country. I would say sub fifteen million online. There's probably somewhere in the order of twenty to thirty properties worth looking at, and out of that, I would say half of investment grade so it is quite a small space and then That's offline depressing. is it really that low it's very low um yeah. there's a lot of sort of vacant properties for sale so i'm not not including those I, i'm not, i'm talking tenanted stock with a good tenant mm. so investment grade stuff yeah and yeah. then offline there's probably about triple that so there's a very big offline world in commercial and that's you know that's my niche i guess with the rethink business we've targeted that offline uh stuff because a lot of owners prefer offline sales. A lot of agents do as well because it means their listing isn't going to get harassed by 10 other agents in town and owners like quieter sales for their tenants' benefit as well. Mm. So they're not going to have to uh, deal with 50 people off realcommercial.com trying to hit them up about how successful their business is. Offline sales are more private. And yeah, it's a different world, but it is very light on. There's not that much out there. And you know, I'm quite open. That's our biggest struggle for a business. Like we will never be able to scale a business like Rethink Investing due to stock. Like, in fact, we have to close our doors regularly to new people because it's just simply not enough to buy out there. And if you start just getting greedy and buying whatever you can, then that's where you start getting poor results. So never an option, but it is, it's a very small boutique market where all the agents know each other. And that, I guess that's one of the reasons I, I like yeah, it. Here's, here's a question for you, a bit philosophical. If, if I was going to chat to these agents that you do business with and, and one of the benefits of using a, a buyer's agent or a property strategist, um, whether it's resi or commercial, is that they typically know the agents so they can get the off-market listings, pre-market listings beforehand. How would most agents sort of describe you, Scott? What would they say? Are you easy to do business with? Are you Are you hard? Are you, you know, give me some sense for that. Yeah, no, straight shooter. Like, because yeah. I don't have time to play the game. And, you know, I, we ask the questions all up front. And, you know, we're not one of those buyers agents that, you know, try to get a million dollar property for 500 grand. Like, we're not, we're not idiots in that department. Like, we know where the price is. We're not influenced much by the agents. We know where our value is. 
And normally we just put best and final offers in straight out and then they can take it or leave it and then move on. So the less time we put into getting involved in sort of the, the bickering and all that kind of stuff, the better. Yeah. But it's more just knowing the asset and knowing the value. And then, and it's not just me. I've got guys inside my business who have their own personalities. Like they might get along with certain types of agents or like we move very quick as well. That's one of our advantages because we know the market and the price and, and that type of asset. We can basically put a confirmed offer much quicker than say someone who's never done this before or even like say others in the industry trying to do what we do there. They may not have the amount of buyers as we do. So if they lock in a price, they might not have a buyer ready to go on it. Mm. And that will piss an agent off because imagine they agree on a price and then this person doesn't come back with a, a person. So so it's about playing the game with the agents as well. Like you need to deliver on that offer as well. And that's something we've always been good at. And um, yeah, it's got to be a good price for the buyer. And if it doesn't work for the seller, move on. And uh, that's why we're, we're straight shooters in that department. All right. Well, let's go back to winners and losers. And I think what's going to happen, well, let's call it the great restart. When that starter pistol is is pulled um, and we go back to semi-normalized conditions with a pathway for full normal conditions, I think there's going to be pre-COVID, COVID COVID, and post-COVID, right? I say pre-COVID, commercial property was sort of flying under the radar a lot more than maybe how it's progressed through COVID. And I think what COVID has done is accelerated attention to a lot of commercial asset classes that weren't necessarily in the zone of focus. And by that, we sort of talk about distribution centers and warehouses for online shopping and all that sort of stuff. So so let's chat about sort of who are the winners going to be as we merge out of COVID, looking towards the future rather than looking backwards. Retail property, I think we're saying we're probably going to be one of the winners. Yeah, Industrial property, winner or loser? I think it'll be a continual winner, just not at the same rate it has because – like it's got a really good 20-year trend going. Like people are spending more and more online and um, COVID just really increased that percentage up to a you know a ridiculous number. So there's not many online businesses that aren't doing well at the moment unless they've got a poor product. So that's definitely going to be a long-term winner. And just short-term, it's probably going to make way for a little bit of retail benefit. And I thought I'd I'll put a bit of trivia on you, Phil, because you know the uh, the markets. What would you predict? Or in the last sort of two years, the biggest winner in terms of total retail spend as a percentage. So I've got this graph in front of me. I'll put it online. Are you talking about industry sector? Industry sector, but retail. So total winner. So which sector has sold the most stuff year on year as a percentage change in retail, electronics and consumer goods? Very close. So electronic was the third busiest. So they've increased by 19% year oh, on year. What so about, uh, probably, is a bit left of, this is percentage growth, not absolute size, right? I reckon it's going to be something a bit spurious, like um, fitness equipment or something. Uh, close, for, they're about 14%. Okay. So what, is, what is it? Liquor. Okay. <laughs> you know what? I've never, I've never. Hardware and building garden supplies. Uh, hardware and building supplies is two, is it? Yeah. And then your electronic goods is third. Okay. Uh, furniture, floor. So people are getting pissed more. They're doing DIY and then they're sitting back after hard days work watching a bit of television. Yeah. And then the odd one gets fitness equipment to uh, try to save face. Sorry, I see. <laughs> so, all right. So retail will be a winner. I think industrial will be neutral. Some will win, some will lose, depending how you choose to play that game. Office space, office sector. 
you know, big high rises versus suburban shop fronts, two very, very different asset classes. But in general, office, winner or loser, I would prefer this by saying my view, and, you know, I'm very fortunate, I chat to a whole bunch of business owners across a whole bunch of different sectors. There's a real pent up demand for people to come back into the office. You know, I think people now recognise the importance of activity-based working for not only business outcomes, but for personal, emotional and mental health outcomes. We're seeing in our business people are itching to get back in the office, not like all the time. I think you're going to have this definitely a hybrid working environment. But that hybrid working environment, I think, is going to lend itself to reducing this flight to regional areas because people are going to need to be connected with their office. But office space, win, lose, draw. It will be a winner. In fact, it actually has been a winner through COVID, believe it or not, mostly from a sort of building sales rate per square meter. Like it is just still going through the roof. Like their yields are getting tighter and tighter. And, you know, these are sales that are done by the institutions. Like, you know, there's, you know, the big ones in the uh, capital cities like North Sydney, they sold 53 Berry Street, North Sydney. That was 54 million bucks. They sold that at a a 3% net yield. There was, I know that's not far from you. That's pocket change, mate. That's ashtray money in the old Datsun 200B. It is for those blokes because they're, they're selling things uh, towards the billion dollar mark. And these guys are not worried about some short-term leasing risks. So they were just sort of business as usual through COVID. I think the benefit post-COVID is they're going to reduce their leasing risk. So you're going to mm. see cash flows grow for these businesses and it's, uh, yeah, like you said, there's going to be a resurgence come into it and that'll help the yields as well. A lot of the rents are on, on the back of inflation, CPI increases as well. So as inflation grows, so will the income on these commercial properties in the city. And uh, if their vacancy rates drop, which they need to, because they did get pretty high in the middle mm. of COVID. So vacancy rates, for example, in I'll use Sydney as an example. So North Sydney, it was 20%. That's up from about 10%, so it doubled in, in terms of its vacancy. Okay. City fringes actually maintained well. So outside CBD areas, the office space tended to bode better because I guess people moved out of the city, closer to home, kept their uh, local office if they had one. Melbourne, similar story. Like everything's, all the vacancy rates pretty much doubled through COVID and there's some markets that are starting to trend down already. Places like Brisbane and Adelaide and Perth were more resilient because they didn't have the level of lockdowns that the the two larger markets had. So I think just the re-entering of the capital cities are going to really help some of those businesses. The restaurant, cafe type, you know, CBD businesses are going to be the big winners next year because mm. they've had obviously the worst case scenario. Like you can't go to a restaurant and you can't be in the city. So they've had, they're actually the biggest loser in the pandemic and you're going to see them come back on. I know everyone's already booking restaurants and it's pretty hard to get into stuff as well. You wouldn't have that problem. They'll be calling up going, uh, Scott, uh, your, your usual table, sir, do you want no. it? <laughs> no, mate, not me, not me. But I, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm, I am keen for just to get out and sit in a restaurant. It feels like it's been years. Yeah. And, uh, well, we'll go, mate. We've, uh, we've been talking about our commercial property leaders luncheon. Uh, maybe we can get some uh, interested people together and we can have a bit of a long lunch one day, talk all things commercial property and report back yeah. on Inside Commercial we'll Property. It, what what the uh, all the off-record stuff that no one wants to put their names to, we can be the guys that talk <laughs> about it. So we will definitely do that. But uh, winners and losers, let's talk, uh, it's sort of specialty, but uh, medical, win yep. or lose. Now, a lot of people are talking about wanting to get back into a doctor's surgery, but 
whether or not this trend of um, online consultations will continue, there must be a lot more efficiencies inside of the medical sector. Is that good for commercial property, which is for medical professions? Oh, look, I think I think it, they've had a, an absolute cracking couple of years in terms of like price growth. So you're going to see them go back. And a lot of, I guess, I don't just look at Sydney or Melbourne, like even because we're three months into a lockdown right now, and it's even hard to realise a lot of the country isn't in this lockdown that we're in. And they are still seeing their doctor and seeing their specialists and there's no restrictions. Like it is business as usual and, and Sydney and Melbourne, which account for a very large percentage, are just going to go back to what they're already currently in. So I think that market will remain strong and um, and I guess people like medical because it is that kind of recession-proof type asset that really doesn't really worry what the uh, ASX is doing, you know, or, or unemployment's doing. They're just going to continue on. So that's going to be an in-demand product for sure. And um, like it has been, it'll just mm. probably pick up in strength because there's more confidence. But yeah. What about sort of uh, sole use assets like uh, service stations or childcare centres, this sort of stuff, winners or losers coming well, most out Most European car makers have got a commitment not to build petrol cars after 2030. So no Mercedes-Benz is in that. Uh, I think Volkswagen. So like all the big companies are... You know, they're really going down the electric route faster than I think a lot of these service station purchases are, are realizing. Like there's definitely going to not, you know, even if they stop making it, service stations are still going to be relevant for decades after, but maybe just less of them. And and that it's just not going to be as an attractive asset. So there is risk with that declining industry. Mm. And uh, what will replace it? I don't know. Maybe these battery power, you know, stations are going to sit on the same sites. We'll, we'll find out. Yeah. I at home with solar panel. Like, yeah, that's the other thing. I've, I've been watching um, around sort of the area that I live in, North Shore of Sydney, and all of the service stations seem to be having renovations done to them at, at the moment. You know, whether they're sort of Coles or Woolworths inspired, they're like essentially mini supermarkets uh, now. And this is an evolving trend. Maybe they're getting ready for this uh, on these sites and assets, but. Are those sort of large sort of franchise-based service stations like a Woolworths or a Coles one or David Jones or whatever, are they locally, are they owned by an investor leased to a particular brand or are they company-owned? How does that normally work? Because who's spending all these dough on on renos of these things? Well, I know a few years ago they the big companies did a major sell-off on their assets, so they're mostly privately owned. Like okay. you can see even just at those, those auction houses, like, you know, a large percentage of the sales are service stations to private investors. So there's definitely a, a private ownership majority, I'd say, in that. And I, I'm not up to date with what Woolworths or Coles are doing in, internally, but, you know, I dare say they've freed up some cash and putting it back into their business like mm. any good business would. And, you know, renovating it to keep a point of distance difference is one of the goals they'd be going with. I, I, see, I would imagine they're good tenants and there'd be long leases on that. But if you get to like childcare's... Um you know, yes, there's some large lists of sort of childcare orientated or privately owned childcare centres, but a lot of them are more ma and pa type operations. Probably a lot more risk in childcare centres around the longevity and continuity of the business itself. Winners or losers exit COVID childcare? Um, it can be both for childcare. I've seen many childcares go broke and many become some of the most desired assets possible out there because they do come with five to 15 year leases on them. And like you said, there, there's different levels of operators. So it's important to know that the tenant that you're going into business with because the assumption that they're going to pay your rent 15 years in a row at the rent with 3% increases every year is a very bad assumption. 
there's a lot of variables in there that smart business person should know that 15 years is too long to rely on them surviving. Like what if they get divorced or get sick or maybe the government stops pumping so much money into childcare. Maybe there's a decentralization of childcare back into homes, you know, COVID sped that up. We know that. And um, I know in places like Europe, childcare is nowhere near as a big thing like, like they are in Australia. You know, it's, it's more about sort of family carers and, and nannies and stuff like that. that that's the European mm. model. So I don't know what will happen in the childcare model, but I know a well-located childcare is, it is a really good asset. It's just, it's just a matter of picking the good ones versus the uh, the poor quality ones. Which sort of lends itself to most commercial assets, irrespective of what they are. How about sort of winners and losers exit COVID? Um, maybe this would be winner, like um, caravan parks and, and holiday accommodation. I think Australians are itching to get out uh, and do their things. Uh, what, what's your thoughts on that as an asset class? Yeah, they'll do well. I think local uh, tourism businesses are going to do very well. So, you know, there's been a lot of hurt, particularly places like the Gold Coast where there's a large reliance on interstate type businesses, mm. but places like Byron to the, you know, South Coast or, you know, those local areas around Melbourne, you can go, they're just going to have an absolute cracking few years because people are still pretty cashed up. The wealth effect from the residential markets booming is going to create confidence that will be quite lasting, I feel. The only risk on top of it is if there is a correction in the residential markets because, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, but it will at some point, whether it's in one year or six years, we don't know. There's going to be a correction at some point because there always is. And this one could be a bit larger because the debt levels are higher. When that happens, you'll see businesses like the tourism reliant ones struggle more because it's the wealth effect. Like People will travel more when they feel wealthy and that will reverse on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, nice one. Um, And what about car parks and those sort of assets? Yes, no, indifferent? That's an interesting one. Car parks, are, they're at premium prices because they are pre-COVID, they were, again, they're one of those sort of long lease type assets, very specialist, but yeah, they would have had the worst case scenario last two years in terms of, you know, CBD car parking and they're going to come back for sure. I've only been involved in a couple of those purchases and they have been paying because they're normally backed by a large company. You know, the names, the the brands you see all over the city. So they've got a long lease and then they sort of take on the business risk with the day-to-day income. So I think they'll come back, but uh, they haven't really suffered in general. But obviously there would have been some winners and losers in that category as well. Nice one. Well, mate, we've covered all the ground there. Um, uh, Reefing investing, winner or loser coming out of uh, COVID-19, Scott? (laughs) Oh, it's yeah, it's been very busy. So we're we're one of the winners in terms of commercial is I think it'll commercial is gonna be one of the winners out of the residential because I found that even when APRA hit, it pushed more investors away from residential. So we're actually almost a defensive move for people to go, all right, well now the growth slowed up. What do we really need to focus on? And and then cash flow becomes more of a priority. So I think it's gonna be a, a very good few years for commercial and um I'd have to say, hopefully, Touchwood will be the winner. What about um, interior fit-out companies um, as a result of the great restart as we exit COVID-19? So these are the people when you buy a commercial asset, they either, or you leave a commercial asset. If you leave a commercial asset, they probably make good on it, so get it back to how it was. And if you acquire a commercial asset, they typically make it fit for purpose or they change it, renovate it, whatever. Winners or losers coming out of COVID-19? Um, yeah, definite winner. It's just 
natural that a lot of businesses are going to look to, um, like you said, there's a more enthusiasm for offices and shop fronts and all that to come back on. So they would have been a, one of those sort of early on guys that would have struggled because people would have just held off leasing or purchasing their new shop or office space. So there's probably going to be pent up demand in that mm-hmm. department. So yeah. I think I think it will be a good time for those guys, but they will work on things like medical and not just offices and all sorts of different types of businesses. So yeah, they'll like construction are going to be run off their feet because construction is prices are going through the roof in terms of raw materials and labor and everything. So I think they're going to be one of the other winners potentially, but it it all depends on sort of release, you know, numbers of houses being released. And I know in industrial, there's a lot of industrial land, particularly out of Western Sydney being released at record levels. So yeah, if you're in construction, you're going to be busy, no doubt. One of the challenges is going to be though, and and this all sort of fits in with this wider post-COVID accelerator of opening up the borders and getting more um, foreign workers to come uh, into Australia because a lot of them do work in construction or, or new to Australian migrants. Uh, great. They're the bedrock in many ways of our construction sector. So we, we need to be opening up the borders and getting those talented people in to help us build uh, inside commercial property podcasts, winner or loser coming out of COVID-19. Is everyone going to forget about us because they're out there doing it rather than having a list on us drone on about property and winners and losers? All right, that's probably a better question for you. You've got all the uh, the stats on podcasts. Like, what do you think? I'll, I'll put it back to you. Are people uh, going to listen to oh, uh, mate, I'm, I'm the journalist here, mate. I'm the guy that asks the questions. I don't like being asked questions. But um, uh, but guess what? I do have an opinion, Scott. So, uh, <laughs> you know, mate, I've really enjoyed doing this. It's been a really interesting experience, a really interesting sort of test to to see how we can narrate and diarise uh, COVID-19. So I think what we've created here is something which – you know, is a moment in time, which we've done monthly since since COVID sort of started. So, you know, we've captured that and we've given that narrative and no doubt over the years, you know, this is all on the public record now. So whether or not we've read it right, uh, who knows? But I think it's a really valuable resource for people to see how things can change and how opinions can shift and manoeuvre and be massaged as a result of both sort of macro and micro environmental forces and also, you know, personal attitudes or perceptions to it. You know, we're we're really diarising the growth of commercial property in Australia. And I think that's really cool. I've enjoyed it, mate. So I think absolutely winners moving forward. Uh, I think the opportunity for us is to sort of step change into what the what is the tempo for the next sort of series on this show now that um, business is sort of back to normal. And you put that in the context and property, commercial property or residential property just doesn't live in isolation. It is, I think, one in 10 Australians can somehow connected professionally with with property in Australia is a huge industry. We are a property nation. A lot of the wealth of all Australians is in property, resi or commercial. A lot of our economic fortunes and how we perform as a nation is in property. You think about how we generate a lot of our income is through exporting stuff that turns into property. Hence the reason why you've got these struggles in in, uh, Chinese developers going bust and uh, iron ore prices being halved. So we're intrinsically linked as a nation in property. So for us to sort of support that that narrative and get people making better informed decisions is really cool. But you think into the future and, and commercial property, we're in a contested environment, Scott. And the big question is, uh, you would have seen it uh, the last week or so, uh, the new security environment arrangement that Australia has entered into with the UK and the US, uh, AUKUS, which, you know, the big headline of that, Scott, is we're going to get nuclear power submarines. We're going to make them here in Australia. We're going to bring the reactors in. What does that mean for commercial property? Well, it's good for business in many ways. Um, but this security environment also has, you know, the macro 
impacts of that and how it's going to shape and change Australia's economic prosperity and future. It's all up for question. And again, it comes back to property. Everything comes back to property in Australia. So, mate, we'll be winners. We'll try and navigate that. Maybe some of that's outside of our pay grade, but, um, you know, we'll get some people in that maybe can tell us. You know, some of these sort of research houses that focus, uh, you know, the big commercial places like Knight Frank or Cushman Wakefield, no doubt they're doing their analysis around what this evolving security environment means for commercial property in Australia. I think we should ask the question. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And uh, I think that's the good thing about this podcast. We'll be able to comment on the uh, the day-to-day activities of the economy. Like, like you said, one of the big X factors that hopefully won't become a problem is the security one. Now, you know, there is potential for some sort of Cold War or increased arms race that, that could continually build over the next few years. And um, none of us know what will happen there. But, yeah, look, there's, there's, there's risk there. And that will just create fear and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And what, how does that affect commercial markets? Has it benefit some? Like, you know, you, you could imagine the Townsville's and the Darwins are going to benefit if they start trying to pile American troops and all the, uh, you know, businesses around that are just going to, you know, all the extra government grants going into defence. Like, there's going to be some winners out of that, and of course, there'll be uh, they're losers because of the anxiety it will create for the, uh, the everyday person. So, who it's all interconnected, we'll isn't it? And, and it also goes to um, foreign investment, attracting foreign investment, the rules around foreign investment in Australia you know, whether the government has a particular appetite for certain types of money coming here. But Australia is an attractive place to live right now and um, uh, it should be able to cultivate international money to to be invested in Australia and infrastructure and infrastructure means business and business means connectivity with with commercial property. So there's no shortage of stuff for us to uh, discuss. Maybe we can widen our mandate a little bit if that's what people uh, really want to us to get into is, is sort of, you know, these sort of factors, geopolitics, strategy, foreign investment, migration, all this sort of intent, how that actually applies into all those utility for commercial property. I'd be more than happy to have those chats if people want that. Um, what's the best best way, best place for people to get in touch with us, Scott? Probably just uh, rethinkinvesting.com.au. When this podcast gets released, I'll try to put some of these graphs on these websites so um, there's a bit more context behind what we say. So yeah, just reach out and let us know what you'd like us to talk about as well. Like we'll, we'll probably continue on the daily affairs and current affairs of the markets. But uh, if you want us to go in more specifics about asset classes or certain things you can buy at certain price points, happily, happily go uh, as granular as you want as well. Yeah, very cool. All right. Well, enjoyed that, Scott. Uh, Scott O'Neill, Rethink Investing Director, chatting all things through on Inside Commercial Property. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, remember, check out rethinkinvesting.com.au. We'll see you next time. Until then, bye-bye.